The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast Bet, Chair Powell drops the hammer. No pause, no pivot, and markets should get ready for even more rate hikes than we initially expected. Stocks went from cheering what seemed like a dovish statement to tumbling once uh, once the chair in no uncertain terms said the inflation fight is far from over. So how high could rates go from here? Crude on the climb, WTI crossing 90 bucks a barrel for the first time since October 12th. Brent back above $95. Will this keep the bulls piling into the energy patch? Plus Apple's new China challenge, the company's largest iPhone plant being shut down for at least a week. More COVID lockdown. So how big a problem will this be for Apple? And later, Roku rocked, the streaming device maker dropping almost 20% on grim Q4 guidance and a somber take on the ad market. A host of earnings alerts on tap this hour. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Michael Kantopoulos, Director of Fixed Income at Richard Bernstein Advisors. We welcome you, Michael. And we start off with the market's post-Fed roller coaster ride. The Dow jumping more than 400 points immediately after the central bank statement was released, but quickly giving back those gains and then some major averages closing near their lows of the session. The S&P down 2.5%, the Nasdaq down more than 3 Treasury rates, meantime, jump with the short-term two-year rate briefly climbing above 4.6%. Let's get more on the headlines out of the Fed, the impact in the markets with the one and only Steve Leisman. Steve. Melissa, thanks. Yeah, markets were absolutely whipsawed today by a dovish statement and then a hawkish press conference by the Fed chairman who verbally slammed the door on any possible dovish interpretation of the outlook for Fed policy. The statement that ignited the rally was when it said the committee, quote, will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation and economic and financial development. That ignites the bond and stock market rally with hopes that the Fed might slow or even soon pause rate hikes. But Powell took to the podium and put an end to market musings about a pivot or a pause. It is very premature to be thinking about pausing. So people, when they hear lags, they think about, about a pause. It's very premature, in my view, to, to, to think about or be talking about pausing our rate hike. We, we, have, we have a ways to go. So how far might the Fed go? Powell hinted at a 5% peak funds rate, or at least higher than the 4.6% that the Fed itself forecast in September for 2023. And the Fed funds futures market traded up to a new high for the May peak contract of 5.12 before settling around 506, 507, which was higher than before the statement. So the Fed may indeed slow down the pace of tightening from 75 to 50 basis points come December, but the Fed chairman made clear there's still far to go. Melissa? I think, Steve, also what the Fed chairman really underscored today was that it's not only going to be higher, but it's going to be longer, that that higher rate could be 
you know, here with us for a longer period of time. And when he talked about the lag effects, a reporter asked him, how do you think about the lag effects? And he was sort of saying, oh, there's some literature that says that it's much faster and there's some literature that says it's much longer. Yeah. But he was very equivocal when it came to describing that. So you really don't have a clear idea at all um, as to how we've used that. Well, I'm sure that he doesn't have a clear idea. The reason is because the literature says that the lags are long and variable and they don't know. And he has posited this idea that it's possible that the market is, is faster now at incorporating them and then that uh, passing it on to the real economy is faster. But Melissa, I just want to throw out this idea. I've seen stuff like that comment in the statement thrown in there in the past in order to mollify or ease uh, dissension inside the committee. Uh, and I'm wondering, I have no evidence of this yet, I'm wondering if there were some doves on the committee who didn't want to go 75. Powell wanted to keep a unified committee together, and, throw, and so he threw that statement in there that would they be mindful of lags, but it's not the operative phrase on policy. That operative phrase came before that statement where the Fed said it would be moving into restrict, sufficiently restrictive territory. Did you think, Steve, on balance, that he was more hawkish than what we've heard from, from all the Fed speak that we've heard in recent weeks? No. What I thought was I thought the statement was more dovish than I expected, Melissa. Mm -hmm. I did not expect that line to go into the statement. Um, I didn't think they were at a point where that idea of the lags being part of policy, the lags would be made into policy yet. I thought eventually they may put that in there. Um, so I think what I, I'm confused as to why Powell so forcefully walk back or close the door on any dovish statement of that. It's as if his committee thought one thing and he felt the need to make sure that the market did not walk away from that with a, a, a dovish interpretation. And I think we do have this problem where the market wants to yeah. desperate to hear something dovish from the Fed. And Powell wanted to make sure that was not the impression they were left with from that insertion into the statement. Yeah. Steve, thank you so much. Steve Leisman. Pleasure. We were talking about this very issue last night. We were talking about what to expect today, Guy, in terms mm. of what the markets want to desperately hear. They want they desperately want to hear something dovish. And that's the way they've been interpreting all the Fed speak over the past couple of weeks. But here we are. Powell's like, you know what? Nope. No pivot. Nothing he, like that. And he is, to his credit, and you know I'm a huge a critic of the Federal Reserve, but he's been pretty steadfast now for quite some time. He hasn't wavered. There's been no equivocation. I mean, I can't speak to the writings and who wanted what in, but his statement speaks for itself. People want to be bullish. I get it. They want asset prices to go higher. I get that as well. Quite frankly, they don't because in order to combat what they created, they need asset prices to go down. Now, the question is, is the rally from 34.91 on October 13th to 39.25 or so over the last couple of days? Is that what is that? A 13 per 12, 13 percent move? Is that enough? Now, today's interesting. The reversal, 135 S&P point. That's interesting. Friday, a jobs number. You get a good jobs number. In other words, good unemployment rate doesn't go higher, and things. Then the market's in a lot of trouble, I yeah. think. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I think Guy's absolutely right. The unemployment number, I would actually... Stop right there. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just take Perfect. the rest of the show off. I would, I would actually view the unemployment number as the more important number. I mean, mm -hmm. I think people are missing the forest through the trees here a little bit. I mean, nothing really changed today, Melissa. Uh, you know, the Fed has been pretty unequivocal in its hawkishness since Jackson Hole. And they continue to be so today. And, and I don't think it really matters, quite frankly, whether the Fed gets to 5% or 5 and a quarter or 4 and 3 quarters. The, the point is they're going to 
to be restrictive. And they're going to get re to restrictive and they're going to bring down long-term growth. That's the goal. That's what they're trying to do. So let's look through today and instead think about what is the end game here. And the end game is not cutting rates, at least not for any time soon. The end game is to slow growth and slow the economy. I com completely agree in terms of what the Fed has been saying. The Fed has been very consistent, I, I believe, um, in its message. But the markets, in terms of how they interpret it, they, they want to hear what they want to hear. And so there's, a, there's an issue of positioning here, especially as we've seen that rally from 34-something to where we are. Well, I think the, the one other thing that was said today that was different was everyone was thinking, well, the Fed has never stopped until the Fed funds rate is higher than inflation. And he backed away from that for the first time today. I think that was bullish, right? That, that was dovish. Is, is that fair or no? I mean, that's, that's different. So the cumulative statement, the I will stop before we, we raise the Fed funds rate above. So you're one of those people who wants to hear dovish. No, I'm trying to figure out, well, maybe, maybe. I mean, I want markets to go higher. I just think that's a little premature. I think we front-loaded this rally. So Guy pointed out 4,200 in the S&P. We, we, we were on a tear to get there. So I thought we were going to have a soft patch in October, back, back up, and then after midterms, rally into year-end. Mm -hmm. I think we pulled forward that. But after midterms, I think we, we could rally again into year-end. Hmm. So, for, different, for different reasons, for not the Fed any longer, for different reasons. So I, I was looking for 3,300 in the S&P. We didn't get that. We didn't trade down that level. So I think we all have to be a little more poised of where we think year end is. But I think midterm elections, we rally from that point on. You're trading this turnaround here. Yeah, listen, I, I think the Fed had a look at that Friday jobs report. And I think that's one of the reasons. I, I mean, I was just amazed at watching CNBC today. Oh, my God. I mean, why, why wouldn't they? Why would you make a decision because like this? Not available to them? Well, of course it's available. It was okay. October data. And here we are, November 2nd. I mean, Peace. they have the data. So, so I think they saw it. I think, too, the point is, I think it's probably going to be hot. I mean, Meaning, like, you know what I mean, as, as we think oh, so about... he's preemptively being hawkish. Yeah, I think he is. Okay, so I think that's going on. And I think the other thing is, we talked today, we have a call at 1230, and I was saying, I thought the price action in some of these um, tech stocks was absolutely disgusting. And it actually, it reminded me of the sort of moves we saw when interest rates were careening higher, and we really didn't know where they were going to stop. And to Michael's point, we kind of know where they're going to stop. It's not too much higher than they, where they are right now. But if you look at those mega cap tech stocks, okay, the <laughs> leaders of this bull rock market, the way they were acting today, before the data came out, okay, or before the meeting, and then the way that they fell out of bed at the end of the day, and then also pre-meeting, uh, the way some of these growthier names, as our friend Sandy would call them, you know, these stocks that have been down 70, 80 percent, they don't actually have the growth anymore. They still have the valuations relative where growth is expected. They were acting horribly. So to me, I think we go lower. Steven, I'm going to tell you, man, I don't think 3,400 or 3,300 oh. out of the woods in 2022 <laughs> at this point, because I think the Fed is not particularly worried about the stock market right now. So you don't think we get the this is where I'm confused with the timing of it. You don't think we get the rally going into year end. You think from now it's the correction discounting this Powell meeting going into year. I thought this rally was so pathetic like that right. we had since October 13th relative to the one that we had over the summer relative mm -hmm. to the one that we had in March here and I think about we said this on the show last week think about how much more we know than the last time the market was rallying. We're pretty certain that by mid-near this huge contributor of energy okay if you think about it to S&P earnings is going to be going away okay and it's a small percentage of S&P earnings and really what you're left with is a, a really slow growth environment with the S&P not troughing. It's 
it's not troughing at 17 times people. It's one thing for us to know approximately where the terminal rate is or where rates will end up being. But it's another thing to factor into valuations, rates remaining high mm -hmm. for an undefined period of time and maybe for longer than we thought. The notion of the pivot is that there's a step down in rate level. But from what Powell said today, it didn't sound like there was necessarily going to be a step down. It's the pace of increases would slow. Yeah. And that's it. Melissa, <laughs> this, is, this is something that has been driving me crazy for some time. The idea of a pivot is, is basically staying at a restrictive level for a long time. That is not a pivot. If the Fed gets to five, five and a quarter percent and hangs out there for a year, that's not a pivot. A pivot is when you go from tightening policy to loosening policy. And, and Dan, to your point, you know, remember the rule of 21, right? You know, the rule of 21. Got it. <laughs> inflation, right? 8%. What does your P need to be? Needs to be 13. That's the old, like, rule of thumb in terms of the rule of 21. So. Oh, I didn't know. I like that. It's like, I See, like we have the hot, remember, the, this is an old school stuff. What? We have the high yield hottie back with us on the desk. <laughs> By the way, for you folks. It's known as, this is, this is another era. Is when, that when FKA formally known? So FKA, anyway. the high, no, I didn't know that. That's interesting, but it makes sense. Now, I'm yeah. not saying we're going to get to a 13 multiple in the S&P 500. I don't think we should be there, but 15 and a half, 16 is not unreasonable. And again, if an S&P earnings of 200, 205 or so, you can start doing the math. Now, I was one of these people that thought, again, in June, we did a great job. We said, you know what, the market's going to trade up to 4,200, overshot to 4,300. This seemed familiar to me, similar back on October 13th. I thought we'd get to 4,100. We didn't. We got to 39 and change. Is it enough in that short period of time? What's changed, though? Earnings are a lot worse now yeah. than they were four or five months ago. And inflation is still here. And inflation ain't going away. Yeah. Um, let's bring in former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart. He held the post during the height of the financial crisis. Dennis, it's always great to get your take on things. Um, first question to you. Dan brought this up. Does the committee get a sneak peek at data before it's officially released to the public? I don't know what the practice is today. When when I was on the committee, my understanding was that the chair got the report the night before. So that would be Thursday night for the jobs report. And then the rest of us, we got it like everyone else gets it. So uh, I don't think two days in advance they have the actual report. They may have economists who have looked at all the underlying data and come up with something close to that report. So what's your take, and this, I guess this is the corollary, this, the second part of this question, what's your take on, on the statement appearing to be dovish, but then ha uh, uh, yeah, Powell appearing to be pretty hawkish during the conference? Uh, well, I can certainly see how that, uh, th that conclusion has been drawn by people. I was a little surprised that the statement really provided some guidance, you know, with Key words, as, uh, as Steve said earlier, restrictive uh, was a key word, uh, lags was a key word. Uh, but they, the, the thing that surprised me most was that uh, we got a fair amount of soft guidance of how this cycle is likely to play out. And I think uh, the c committee and Powell set the table for a step down in December. But he's not going to commit to that. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a sure thing. But he certainly kind of began the preparation of the markets for, for that possibility. Uh, but at the same time, hawkish in saying that uh, they have a long way to go yet. 
and that, and this is important, I think, that the terminal rate is likely to be above the September SEP rate. That, that got my attention. So I was just wondering, uh, Powell mentioned that the, uh, the Fed funds rate is nowhere close to, to being at peak. Uh, and once it got there, would remain there for, for some time. How would you define some time? Is it six months, nine months, <laughs> 12 months? Like, what are the cues that the Fed is going to be looking at? Well, I think you have to kind of put together a scenario, and one plausible scenario is that inflation is stubborn. It doesn't really respond. Uh, we get noisy month over month and quarter over quarter numbers, and the Fed is just not convinced that they're getting the inflation rate moving in the right direction. It could be months even well through 2024 that they're on hold at some level you know, trying to get an indication that the job is getting done. And, uh, you know, at this point, I think you have to keep that scenario in mind that, that this inflation problem maybe just will not abate quickly. Dennis, is there a chance that we could get to the end of this hiking cycle without unemployment rate going up meaningfully? Um, you know, some economists, strategists are suggesting that we really are going to need to see 4 percent, maybe 5 percent, that sort of thing. I think it was interesting that Fed Chair Powell did mention that maybe we just see fewer job openings. Is that a likely scenario? I would say that, that the, the circumstances uh, allow you to think that you could get that kind of a soft landing, if you will, meaning that uh, they keep tightening and uh, the inflation rate comes down, but they don't have a serious unemployment problem or you know a market increase in unemployment. That could happen simply because the participation rate is lower than it was pre-COVID, uh, the job openings in the economy even if overstated by the surveys, still appeared to exceed the labor supply. And you could get a situation where supply and demand of labor just closes, but it doesn't result in 5% plus unemployment. I think that that scenario could play out. Last quick question, Dennis. Uh, he was asked about the possibility of soft landing at this point. He said the window is smaller, but it's still possible. Is he being too optimistic? What's your assessment? I think the longer we have persistent inflation, the, the, the more optimistic that looks. Because one thing he said, which I think is very here, I'm putting, putting words in. All right, we, we apparently have uh, some audio issues with Dennis. Dennis Lockhart, uh, we thank you. Dennis is out there talking maybe still. <laughs> I would have loved to have heard his uh, answer to that question. So he, so they could be on hold through 2024. I mean, that's, that's a long time to have higher rates. I don't think well, we see, are, I would submit it's the exact right amount of time to get us back to some oh, semblance. Of, no, no, I'm not but, arguing but, with you, but no, I, I I'm hear not what saying you're, right or wrong. I'm, yeah. I'm just saying it's a long time that I don't think the market is, is thinking about. Yeah. Maybe they should start. Because they're combating 15 years of excess, and they're trying to do it now with all the things they're putting in place correctly, by the way. So I don't think it's preposterous to think we can have rates at elevated levels for the foreseeable future all of next year. The equity market doesn't want to hear that. That's just too bad. That's the environment that we put ourselves in over the last decade and a half of a basically, a, I would use this word because I'm about to, a reckless 
Federal Reserve. And, and, yeah. and it's, a, it's a process of, to Guy's point, if the equity market should have ever been here, right? So you, you can't disprove prove the counterfactual, but should we have ever been looking at an equity market of 4,800 in the S&P? In, with the environment, right. with rates where they were, yes. Where rates where they're going for a longer period of time, no. I, I love the word preposterous. I mean, it's like one of the best I words out word. there, right? Uh, I think it's preposterous to think that we're going to have a soft landing. You know, uh, listen, soft landing, hard landing, there's a clear landing, and the landing is not good. I mean, that would be quite the magic trick, right? I mean, I, you know, David Copperfield would be quite proud of that. And, and there's just no chance it's going to happen, in my view. All right, coming up, it is a busy night of earnings. Qualcomm, Roku, Robinhood, Zillow, all on the move. We'll bring you the after hours action on those names ahead. Plus, a COVID nightmare shuts down the world's largest iPhone assembly plant. What does this mean for Apple shareholders? That and much more when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Roku. The streaming stock plunging on weak outlook, issuing Q4 revenue guidance far below estimates. So the company did beat the top and the bottom lines for the latest quarter. Julia Borson's got the latest from the conference call. Julia. Well, on the earnings call just now, CEO Anthony Wood laid out his long-term optimism, said that Roku would be poised for growth when the ad market eventually returns. But take a look at Roku shares plummeting 17 percent in after-hours trading, despite beating expectations across the board. Investors' concern is about a grim outlook for the fourth quarter. While the analysts expected the company to guide to about 3 percent revenue growth, instead, Roku guided to about 8 percent revenue decline in Q4, while the company anticipates a lo- an adjusted loss of $135 million. That's more than three times larger 
than the loss anticipated. Roku warning in its letter, quote, as we enter the holiday season, we expect the macro environment to further pressure consumer discretionary spend and degrade advertising budgets. They say it's difficult to predict when these conditions will stabilize or rebound, and they do anticipate fourth quarter player and platform revenue to decline. On the call, Wood said they are sharpening their spending to focus on areas that will enhance their leadership position. But that long-term optimism is not helping the stock right now, Melissa, down 17 percent. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson <coughs> on Roku's 17 percent decline here. Um, if the holiday season is going to be weak... And ad spending is going to be weak, Grasso. When and does it get TVs. better for this one? Yeah, that, that's the problem. But you would think that the switch away from linear TV would just continue to be a tailwind for this company. But this is a good example of a cheap stock becoming dramatically cheaper right after the report. So I, 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 I'm tempering my words here. I, I'm tempted to say, could you buy it here? You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, what's it down now? Are you, are you hinting that you could? Yeah, I think you could. I, I think you could buy it for a trade. But the problem is these things gain so much momentum. They eat on itself that tomorrow you're going to see everyone say, I told you you should have been selling this. I told everybody on the street is going to hate Roku tomorrow a day late and dollar short. What do you think, Dan? I, I think they already hate it. I, I mean, I, you know, yeah. I, I don't find anything particularly interesting about this. The only year that this company made money, um, you know, was in 2021 and barely. And so now these losses are swinging. You know, the sort of headwinds they have, I mean, uh, they have to do with the secular change that's happening a little bit. You thought they were um, tailwinds. They're actually becoming headwinds because they don't have a moat. And, and that's one of the things. And I used to say this, throw this thing on the on the scrap heap of tech crap with like TiVo and all that sort of stuff. They still have a TiVo. Remember, I used to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, and people used to tell us how wrong we were about this right. stuff. All you had to do was go into Best Buy and see how these things were marketed, see how cheap this um, hardware was. No one wanted, you don't even want it on your coffee table. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, But they're in things. TVs, though, too. So the only Correct, they're, they're they're not, have you don't have to have buy that. an accessory. No, I, I guess my point is that's all becoming a lot easier. And I think that we're going to continue to go with the higher end products, the you know easier ways to access this. You don't need this crap. All right. Let's get to Qualcomm now. <laughs> Earnings out also after the bell. These shares also dropping on a weak outlook. The chipmaker citing softening smartphone demand, earnings per share in the latest quarter, in line with estimates, revenue slightly higher than street expectations. Christina Parks Nevelis joins us with more out of the report. Christina. Well, Melissa, the week Q1 outlook shows the market is eroding faster than expected. Qualcomm says COVID lockdowns, like you mentioned, in China are just adding to that demand weakness in handsets and consumer IoT, as well, <laughs> excuse me, as elevated inventory levels as supply chain problems ease. Management says this will take a couple of quarters to work itself through. The call is still going on right now, but Qualcomm CEO says they are willing to keep cutting expenses. Listen in. We have already implemented a hiring freeze, and we have planned spending reductions across our mature product areas in SGNA to fund our diversification. Qualcomm has tapped into the high-end smartphone market with Samsung, and today the company confirming they would supply the, quote, vast majority of 5G modems for 2023 iPhones, and that's up from the previous 20% assumption. So that means the Apple relationship is still intact for next year. Remind our audience to tune into Mad Money tomorrow because there's going to be an interview with Qualcomm's CEO at 6 p.m. Eastern. Guys, back to you. All right, Chris, Christina, thank you. Christina parts Nevelis. Guy? First, so this was the fourth quarter. The quarter wasn't bad. First quarter guidance. Let's just go midpoint here because I can do that math. $2.35. 
The street was looking for $3.45. That's an unmitigated disaster, mm -hmm. which really should come as no surprise because the stock has not bounced at all now for the last three and a half, four months. By the way, a name that I liked for a long time and still like to a certain point because I think you can wrap your head around what they're trying to do. But it's interesting. This stock, even with the move lower, is probably more expensive. I've said this all the time yeah. than it was Right. Two and a half hours ago. Right. As counterintuitive as that sounds. So there'll be a place to buy this stock. It probably comes in the form of about 98 or so, which is where we broke down from in January of 2020. You don't like tech? No, I think this just highlights the uh, cyclicality of tech. You know, everybody got used to thinking of tech as being a defensive during COVID, but that was very unique to the COVID uh, situation, the COVID recession. It's very clear. I mean, in every other cycle in history, Tech acts as a cyclical, and we are going into a cyclical downturn. What did Powell say? The first thing, right off the gates, we've seen a slowdown in the economy, right? right? And look at what's going on with all of the, 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 the tech that requires um, earnings from, from advertising. Like, you're seeing this uh, begin to slow, and, and I think that's just going to start and uh, continue uh, for quite some time. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The world's largest iPhone assembly plant shutting down. Just how big a risk does this pose to Apple? We look for answers next. Plus, oil in rally mode. The Chartmaster drills down on what direction Texas Tea is heading from here. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money, the world's largest iPhone plant facing a new COVID outbreak. China ordering a week-long lockdown today in the area surrounding the Foxconn-owned factory. Foxconn produces 70% of Apple's iPhones globally. Apple shares dropping nearly 4% today. This is in part, of course, because of the Fed, in part because of this news. We were literally talking about this very scenario two days ago and also last week in terms of the China wild card here. And the amount of vitriol that comes on the back of it. And we, we just try to point out what we think can go wrong. I mean, the Apple quarter was fine. It was, I don't think it was great by Apple standards. Mm -hmm. The guidance was not good. And we pointed out this existential tail risk, that we called it, of something like this happening. Now it's seemingly happening. 145, oddly enough, is where it was the day they reported earnings. The stock actually, if you remember, Mel, because you did, because we looked at it together, it's traded down to 138 in the after hours before they said what they said. Amazon was a disaster, some sort of flight to quality in the form of Apple, which is somewhat misguided. We said it then. Apple is expensive in this environment. It's more expensive given what you just brought up two seen, and a half minutes ago. But it's seen ago. as what you said. It's seen as safety. And it's seen as people saying services is what their golden jewel is behind, behind mm -hmm. Apple. But also, think about how much money is waiting on the sidelines to throw at China Tech. Like there's take that one more derivative, one one more domino really down. Think there's still money on the sidelines waiting to go into China tech. Absolutely. This market in, in Absolutely. This China environment. People are waiting for the beta in this market because they know how pummeled it's been. So if you think your name has been pummeled, 
think about all these names that are China dependent. Once they say, and it's real, the headline that they're lifting the zero COVID policy, everything is going to rip. And it's going to rip a heck of a lot more than all the stocks that we talk about all the time. Because people are just sitting there. It's like double dutch this when you're a not, kid, right? This may not you're, rip. You're waiting to jump in. They're waiting to jump in. This may not rip. Because if they go away from zero COVID, that means that they may actually start really going to war with us on some of this economic policy. And, you know, when you think about Apple, where it sits, we've been saying this for years now, starting with the trade war, you know, a few years ago. I mean, this is kind of like the last battle that's going to be fought, not only because Apple is one of the very unique U.S. multinationals with the margin that they have that have access to Chinese consumers, but also they manufacture and the supply chains there. And all of that stuff is wrapped up into a story that we've been telling ourselves over the last two years within the markets and our economy about how we come out of this. What's very clear is that we are in a bipolar economic war right now, you know, with China and, and, and their firewall and what goes on over there. So to me, the fact that Apple's held up, it's only down 18 percent on the year versus a Nasdaq that's down more than 30. Like to me, treasury. I think there's risk here. You know what I mean? Like there's risk in that stock and that 2.3 trillion dollar stock, whereas I'd probably like to take a shot on some other stuff. All right. Coming up, an energizing rally in the oil market. But is there even more upside ahead? We'll get you the chart master's take next. And later, Robinhood and Zillow on the move after earnings will bring you the full roundup on their quarters and the trades around them. Much more fast money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks seesawing after the Fed decision. The Dow initially at more than 400 points, ending the day down more than 500. The S&P at its lowest close in nearly two weeks. The Nasdaq down over 3%. Shares of Amazon down for a sixth straight day, its longest losing streak since June. It has lost $290 billion in market cap over that time period. Meta, meantime, at its lowest close since October 2015, with a market cap of $240 billion. It is now smaller then Pepsi. Now, one bright spot today, Boeing. Uh, that jumped today after the playmaker said it expects to ramp up production deliveries next year. The stock was a top performer in the Dow today, up by almost 3%. And energy stocks, though down today, are up more than 20% in the last month. Can they go higher from here? Let's get to the chart master himself, Carter Braxton Worth. So, Carter, what are you looking at? Well, let's just figure it out together. We'll get right to the charts and see what the lines say. So we have a couple XLE charts. This, of course, is the ETF that tracks 100% the S&P 500 energy sector. No lines, no judgments, but we do know, of course, it's in an uptrend. Let's put some lines in. So what we have here first, fairly well defined, right? You can see that we have tracked very precisely off these lows and we bounced yet again. And that's the big move, um, Melissa, that you just referred to. So the question is, right now, we're sitting here at this top and that top. Now, let's actually next iteration and show the arrows. So the question is, before you break out, and I think ultimately it will, what do you do more often than not? And the rule of thumb is this. Before exceeding a former high, you contend with it, which is to say backing or filling or backing away. Why? You encounter supply. People from back here who, having been made whole, want their money back. Thank you. I'm out. And then people from down here who bought well saying, thank you, I just made 20% very quickly. So you encounter memory from above, let me get my money back, memory from below, let me book my gains. And what you're likely to get more often than not is some backing and filling and or backing away. So my thinking is, in a perfect world, you can sell calls against your XLE or that kind of thing. Now, I think we've got a, a GDX chart here. Let's just look, because gold... Um, very much a macro story. And my eye draws the lines this way. Uh, gold is 
certainly struggled uh, uh, mightily. It just completed its seventh down month in a row at the end of October. You have to go back to the 60s to find that. But I think what we've got here is the makings of a bottom. It's very nascent. It's young. But I think it deserves the green arrow that we're going to actually come up and develop. We shall see. All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth. Uh, Michael, you've been trimming energy lately. Yeah, we, we uh, were very overweight energy uh, throughout 2020 and 2021, coming into 2022. We love the long-term story. Uh, the long-term, long-term story makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, there's been un- underinvestment in, in commodities. Um, but near term, you can't take the cyclicality out of it. And so we have trimmed energy. We're still overweight, but much less overweight than we were. Um, you know, it's a great inflation hedge. And so if you think inflation is going to stay elevated for some time, you want to have some exposure. We've actually diversified a little bit and bought more global natural resources rather than just U.S. energy. Uh, but we certainly brought it down pretty substantially given the cyclicality. Yeah, I agree with that. You should just say thank you. You have these energy uh, you know, um, returns on your investment. They did nothing for five years. Pandemic hit, Russia, Russia hit. It's through the roof. But I think ultimately it depends on the direction of the dollar. So maybe not each individual stock, but the movement of WTI crude is inversely correlated. So it depends on what your opinion is on the dollar to see where that's going further. All right. GDX going higher. What do you think of that call? Well, I'd like to see that because I've been a global forever. It's been awful. So, I mean, if this Fed is as staunch as they're going to be to fight inflation, gold's going to do what it's doing, meandering. But I will say this about the bull case for energy, if there is one. Mm-hmm. China, zero COVID goes away. And post-elections, the bullseye on the back of energy companies goes away and crude oil rallies. That could actually happen. So I understand what they're saying. The charts say take money off the table. I still like energy here. Coming up, investors everywhere listening to Jay Powell's Every Words. How did options traders digest the news? We got the details ahead, but first, the after-hours action. Robinhood and Zillow, both names on the move after earnings. What is moving the stocks? We got that next on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Robinhood. The company posting a smaller loss than expected, getting a boost in net interest income as the Fed hiked rates. Our Kate Rudy joins us now with more on the quarter. Kate. Hey, Melissa, that's right. Wall Street is liking the cost discipline coming out of Robinhood. That's boosting the stock here after hours. Robinhood is still losing money, but losses are narrowing at lowered operating expenses and the operating expense forecast for the full year. It's profitable if you look at the adjusted EBITDA basis, which CEO Vlad Tenev just kicked the call off with he said it came a quarter ahead of schedule and he talked about the cost structure as a way to help turn the stock around. Rising rates are helping with that mission. Net interest income jumped 73% sequentially. On the call, executives say they expect that line item to rise by $25 million in Q4. It made up 35% of revenue over at Robinhood in the third quarter. Trading or transaction-based revenue still makes up more than half of income and CFO Jason Warnick saying that rates are definitely helping. Uh, he said, on the other hand, though, it does tend to be a drag on markets. So sort of a catch 22 there. I also asked about M&A. He said he's more excited about Robinhood being the acquirer. He says they've got about six billion dollars in cash. He feels, quote, incredibly optimistic about being a standalone company. Vlad Tenev just talked about that on the call as well. He said they're being patient on deals, but they do see some opportunity out there to do some M&A. And despite the optimism, though, uh, Robinhood did still lose more than a million monthly active users in the quarter. 
and saw lower than expected revenue per user. Melissa, back to you. A million monthly users. How many monthly users do they have, approximately? 12. About 12. 12. 12. 12. 12. 12. 12. 12.2. <laughs> from, the, from the bleachers, 12.2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 13 point, yeah, I've got it in front of me, 13 point something. Uh, but yeah, what, actually a loss of 1.6 yeah. million to be exact. A slowdown though, and uh, they do also have the total users, which was higher, about 22 million. But they're seeing a slowdown, and it seems like interest rates are offsetting this a bit. But the question going forward, is that enough to yeah. compensate for the trading business really screeching to a halt? Sure. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney, I'll turn to one of the peanuts in the gallery here. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> The biggest peanut. Yeah, uh, basically. You know, it, <laughs> the it's biggest nut. Remember when this thing came out and we talked about, how, you know, Dogecoin was so much of its revenue, right? And so they did about $50 million of their 350 in revenue in the quarter in crypto. So it's interesting. Guy and I were talking to Tom Sosnoff mm-hmm. over there at Tasty Trade, who is a competitor. This was earlier today. And he's like, you're getting a lot of businesses in this thing for free. He's actually bullish on one of his competitors, which I thought was really interesting. I also talked to a friend of mine who's a prominent short seller. He's really good in this space, too. And two weeks ago, he said this is no longer a short. I just think that's interesting. When you also think about the fact that the stock is 75% off of its lows, it's shown really good relative strength. Now, that's the most positive thing I think Mm -hmm. I've probably said about this story in a long time. But I think to your point, you highlight losing those monthly active users. The account sizes are small. If rates were to kind of come in and activity doesn't pick up because, I don't know, maybe the offering's not that exciting anymore, it's kind of like a dead stick in my opinion. And the major headwind, and you, you nailed this very early on, was the payment for order flow target on their back with the SEC. And that's what a lot of the decline was about. And now that seems to have lifted. I'm sure the SEC, I believe they have another thing that they're going to focus on with with Robinhood. But that was a major headwind. To Dan's point, in June, the stock was trading at $7. So you look where you're at right now, risk reward. Mm -hmm. Shares of Zillow also on the move after reporting earnings. The real estate marketplace company beating at the top and the bottom lines. Frank Hollins got the details. Frank. Melissa, calls going on right now. Uh, Zillow had solid beats in all of its major segments, but very important to note, Premier Agent. That's where the agents list on Zillow. That beat estimates, but it actually declined year over year. Overall, some pretty soft guidance going forward with CEO Rich Barton saying mortgage rates climbing above 7% is putting a lot of pressure on the business. Barton also adding that buyers are kind of recalculating what they can afford on the fly and that volatility impacted revenues while people actually decide. But the beats, the increased traffic to the site, and also plans to expand real-time touring, which is now being tested in Atlanta, appears to be giving Zillow a boost right now. With early data showing increased intent to transact and increased conversion rates, we feel confident in the results we are seeing in Atlanta, and we are planning to expand to additional markets throughout 2023. All right. Barton also added to having three and a half billion dollars in cash and investment should help Zillow navigate a lot of what he called market choppiness. Back over to you. Frank, thanks. Frank Holland. Uh, Michael, we've already seen a slowdown here. Do we continue to see a slowdown if we reach that higher rate and we stay there for a longer amount of time so we get to a new normal? Yeah, I mean, I I think that is um, that that's absolutely what probably needs to happen and will happen. Right. You're going to get to a higher rate. And eventually things are going to, to sort of equalize. I mean, a lot of the froth that we've seen over the last 10 years has been driven by a liquidity bubble. You got to deflate that bubble. And then once you deflate that bubble, you can kind of find a, a, a level ground. Right. And I think we're getting there. Seven percent mortgage rates is going to hurt the housing market. It's interesting to see the guidance there on Zillow. But at some point you are going to reach an equilibrium for sure. 
It's a trading story to me. If you go back March of 2020, we all know, I mean, the stock was a $25, $26 stock, bounced from there. We've round-tripped the entire thing. Having traded north of 200 in February, which was, you know, preposterous to use that word again. But now you can trade the stock against that sort of 27.5 low from the long side. It's not a particularly great story. I think it could be a particularly good trading opportunity. All right. Coming up, no no pivot, no pause, no problem. Not so fast. We'll hit the options pits next to gauge Powell's moves today. Stick around for that. We're back after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's dig uh, into the Fed's market impact. Major indices all giving up early gains as investors digested Jerome Powell's statements. The Fed chairman's words caused a major stir in the options market as well, where traders really felt the whiplash. Scott Nations joins us now with more on that. Scott. That's right, Melissa. We started the day with S&P calls as expensive relative to puts as we've ever seen since buy options were listed uh, more than 17 years ago. And so as soon as the statement came out, we saw a bunch of those calls hit the market. And then when it got even worse, traders decided they wanted to own puts finally. Uh, and so in SPY, we saw a bunch of put buying, particularly in the Friday expiration, those 380 puts, 141,000 of those traded by far, uh, the most volume we see in the expiration. And when those became in the money, they turned to the 370 puts, buying those 138,000 times. So a lot of interest in puts, and the guys at Spot Gamma point out that in the index, the 3,600 strike on Friday's expiration has by far the biggest open interest, and we know that open interest tends to pull the market towards that strike. Hmm. 3,600 is what you said, right, Scott? Um, yeah. Dan, I think you were buying puts intraday as well. Huge. And, and yeah. largely, you know, the, the outperformance of the S&P off of the lows, we were talking about what the small caps were doing. We were talking about some industrials relative to mega cap. That is not something we've seen in a while. That's why I want to pick on the NASDAQ 100. I think that probably makes new lows before the S&P 500. See 3,600? Uh, yeah, I think 3,600 is definitely within sight. And I think I'm going to be real tactical on this. I think you have an opportunity to sell the market for the next week. And then I think you start to see the grind higher. That's very tactical. Very, very tactical. Midterm elections. Too cute, guy. Well, he's adorable. Oh, you mean his, you mean his, his tactical, his tactical trade. trade? No, but I think this. I don't necessarily agree, but I think this market's given you the opportunity to have trades like that without question. You know, I thought again, forty-one hundred, we would crater into year end. I'll stand by that, but we're not getting to forty-one hundred now in this environment. Scott Nations, thank you for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, five thirty p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. the final trade around the horn we go michael cantopoulos of richard bernstein advisors you know i think um the fed told us today that they're hell-bent on bringing down long-term treasuries and growth and so long-term treasuries is my trade for the day steve grasso interactive brokers ibkr is the ticker symbol it's been on fire i think it has more room to the upside Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, I'm with Carter on that XLE. I think the outperformance relative to crude is something you probably want to lean into. I'd be a seller. Guys. You're a Philadelphia sports fan, Mel. It's really amazing what's going on now. I hate Philadelphia teams, although against the Strohs, oh. I'm rooting for them. Do you think the Phillies this evening will take a commanding 3-1 lead, yes or no? Yes. Yes, you do. As do I, by the way. Check out McKesson, which continues to be impervious to all the noise that we talk about each and every day, Melms. Say it with conviction is probably the best tip I've ever gotten about anything. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 